few years ago, there was a journalist in the United Kingdom, and she was uh, writing a story about how the Christmas hymn, Silent Night, had recently been named the favorite hymn of the United Kingdom for Christmas. And so she was, she was pondering the reason why that particular song had so much meaning to their people and, and why this was such an important song, why they loved it so much. And she was really having a difficult time in this article grasping why this was so meaningful, why it was so important, because in her, in her writing, it, it appears that she doesn't have any sort of Christian background or Christian understanding. And so she's having a difficult time putting meaning to these words. And so I want you to hear what she has to say. She says, when was the last time you remember feeling at peace? Not just sitting down with a cup of tea at your feet up after a long day, but feeling completely at ease, content with your place in the world and with your reason for being here. When was the last time you remember experiencing silence? Not the quiet of your bedroom with the traffic flitting past outside or the rare moments that you have the house to yourself surrounded by humming machines and various other background noise, but real and perfect silence. We're always on, always online. In today's 24-7 society surrounded by noise and activity, with entertainment just to click away, it's never been harder to switch off. Perhaps this is one reason Silent Night is now officially our number one favorite national Christmas carol. It speaks to the stymied part of us all that craves peace and quiet. Most of us aren't in a position to just wander out to the fields and tend sheep in the middle of the night. Over 80% of the population living in towns and cities now, crammed into small spaces with strangers both at work and at leisure, the majority of us lack the opportunities for finding peace that many of our ancestors had. The Silent Night Carol is full of history. When we hear Silent Night, many of us are reminded of our disillusioned troops singing it in the trenches in 1914, the day of the Christmas truce. The carol itself was written by Austrian priest Father Joseph Moore in the 1800s as a poem, which was in 1818 put to music by Franz Gruber. Their lyrics are a simple, stunning tribute to the preciousness and rarity of true peace. It speaks to us of a basic contentment that we lost a long time ago. Today we have an infinitely better quality of life, but with all of our privileges and modern appliances, the immensity of our potential to travel, to learn, to succeed, to be the best, can we ever really be at peace? With the constant pressure to achieve, to always be on, to sleep in heavenly peace is an attractive proposition to us. To cast aside our endless worrying, our daily strife, to sleep in complete contentment. We all crave peace on some level, whether that's a break from the corporate treadmill or temporary relief from family feuding. Perhaps we love Silent Night because it tells us a story about a feeling that many of us have forgotten how to achieve in our driven world that never sleeps. In Silent Night, all is calm and all is bright, and there is genuine peace in the world. I think we crave that more than ever. In this article, this author has captured a basic human need, a basic human desire, which is peace, which is rest. The problem is that she is fumbling trying to figure out where to find this peace. She's 
looking here and there and, and, you know, thinking that because we're not out in the fields with sheep that we can't find real quiet anymore and we can't find peace anymore. But today I want us to hear the story of a not-so-silent night and learn how we can have real peace through a relationship with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 in verse 8. Luke chapter 2 verse 8, the word of God says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. You may be seated. When we look at this passage of scripture today, the first thing that I want us to recognize is this good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas. In verse 10, the Bible tells us that an angel comes and appears before these shepherds who are out in the fields and he says to them, don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news. I'm proclaiming to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, it had been hundreds of years since the Israelite people had heard good news. It had been a long time since they had received a prophecy from God. The last thing that God had said to his people was found in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, verses 4 and 5, when he, chapter 4, verse 5, where he says, Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And so God's last words to his people were a promise. It was a promise that a prophet would come who would be a forerunner for the anointed one, for the Messiah. And he would announce his coming. During this intertestamental period, the the period between that Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jews had had taken it upon themselves to, to save their nation. They didn't wait upon the Lord to answer their prayers, and they didn't wait upon the Lord to fulfill his promise that he would send this Messiah. They were going to do this themselves. In fact, there were many false Christs or false messiahs that arose during this time period. And they were trying to lead the nation. One of these was the Maccabee family. And they were defeated by the Romans, which brought greater military persecution against the Jews, which brings us to the situation that we find here in the New Testament. 
a nation that's occupied by Roman soldiers, a nation with great expectations of freedom that had not been realized. And there had been this silence now for hundreds of years as they were waiting for the Lord to fulfill his word. And on this night, the silence ceased with the sound of angel voices saying, Behold, I bring you good news. I bring you good news. We know that that word good news is gospel. He's, I'm bringing you the gospel. And I want you to notice here that this announcement that they bring was not brought before the Roman governor Quirinius. It was not given to Caesar Augustus. It wasn't even given to the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin or even the temple officials. This good news was given to shepherds, which showed the truth of what the angels were saying. This will be good news for all the people. Because these shepherds were low class in society. In fact, because of their occupation, the fact that they were out in the wilderness and they were out handling animals as, a, as an occupation, they weren't able to keep up with all the temple rituals. And so they were considered as a class to be ceremonially unclean. And because of that, they were often shunned by the rest of the Jewish people. In fact, shepherds had a reputation of being thieves and, and liars that would steal from one another in their herds. And so according to the Talmud, which is the Jewish law book, shepherds were unable to give testimony in court. That's the sort of reputation that this group of people had. Yet these are the very people that God chose to give the good news to. People that other people don't even believe. So why did God share the good news with them? Because it's people exactly like them for whom the good news was given. That's why. Jesus said, it's not those who are healthy that need a physician, it's those who are sick. And so I'm glad that this is good news for all the people. I'm glad that this is not just for those that are righteous in their own eyes, I'm glad that this news is not just for those that are wealthy or that this news is not just for those that come from a certain ethnic background. This is good news for you and it's good news for me. This is the good news of great joy which is for all the people, the gospel of the Lord. And so at the beginning of this message, we see that the angels are bringing good news here at Christmas. What is this good news? The good news is, secondly, the gift of Christmas. This good news that the angels are heralding is that the Lord is bringing a gift to them. In verse 11, they go on to say, Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Now this is a very meaningful sentence. I mean, this... this this little phrase here that they announce is jam-packed full of, of information and, and, and theological meaning. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. First, he says this gift is for you. He has been born for you. That this is a gift from God. 
And this gift is an important one. He's born in the city of David, just like the Old Testament said that the anointed one would be. That this, this one, his coming, is the Savior, the one who is going to save the people. Now, we know that this is something that they had been longing for and that they had basically followed anybody who would act like they would save them. But now their Savior has been born, and this Savior, he says, is the Messiah, the Lord. He's the Christ. And so this isn't just any run-of-the-mill Savior. He says this is the, the promised one. That title has a special meaning for the Jewish people, that he would be the Messiah. This is one that had been promised by God from long ago that would be sent by God to save the people. And they said, he's here now. And this is the greatest gift that could ever be given. Why? Because this is not just salvation from political oppression. That's kind of what they were looking for. They wanted someone that could free them from the Roman occupation. I mean, this has been part of their history. They were, they were enslaved in Egypt, and then they were in Babylon. And I mean, this has been part of their history. They wanted freedom. And so they were looking for that. But God says, no, this is more than just freedom from political oppression. That type of salvation might last for a little while, but just another tyrant will rise up and oppress, you know, later on. Just look at human history. We see that repeated over and over and over again. This is a salvation from spiritual oppression. This is salvation from sin and from Satan and from hell. This is an eternal salvation. It's not just a salvation that lasts for our lifetime. It lasts beyond that and forever. And so you can get the sense here in this passage from the angels that they understand the weight of their message that they understand the ramifications of what they are announcing, and they are really excited about it. I mean, you can almost get this feeling that, that everyone in heaven is just hanging over, looking and, and anticipating this big announcement. I mean, you can, you can get the excitement. You can just feel it's palpable. You know, in the past, people didn't know the gender of their baby until the baby was delivered, right? Uh, back in the day, maybe like from about the point that I was born and before that, you just kind of guessed, right? Uh, and and the lady, you know, they would have all sorts of wives' tales about the way the baby was situated would be a boy or a girl and all these kind of things, but nobody really knew until the baby was delivered. But now... Because of ultrasound and technology, we have a pretty good sense of whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. And so what has, what has happened is that there's this whole thing that, that, that um, young married couples have got into called gender reveal announcements, right? You've seen some of these before. And it's, uh, if, if you cut into the cake, is it going to be pink on the inside or blue on the inside? If you hit the golf ball, is it going to explode into blue dust or pink dust? You know, if you pop the balloon, is it going to be blue confetti or pink confetti? And, and it seems like they get more and more elaborate, right? Everybody has to top the other announcement that they saw. And so, and so they just become more and more elaborate with all these birth announcements. But I'm here to tell you today that God gave the original birth announcement, and it's never been topped. 
I mean, no one else has invited an angel army to come and announce the birth of a baby except for God. And that was because this was the most important birth in the history of the world. The shepherds are out here in the fields just like they would have been any other night. But the angels now know that the fullness of time has come. And that the Savior of the world was born in Bethlehem. And that the whole course of human history has changed. The shepherds have no idea what's about to be told to them. In verse 9 it says, Then an angel of the Lord stands before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I mean, this is, what an announcement, right? I mean, an angel shows up, this bright light uh, that, that's just, every time that an angel appears, that, that people get afraid, right? This must have been a, a terrifying picture. Uh, and so they always say, don't be afraid. Like, Stop. Don't run, away. don't run off. I have something to say. Uh, and so the, he begins to, to explain to them, about what had happened. And this is unlike anything they have seen before. And then as that's happening, it says in verse 13, that suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel. And so all of a sudden there's, there's thousands and thousands of angels that appear in the sky and this great light, this, this wall of sound as they come singing, glory to God in the highest. They've all come to, to deliver this gift. Now, some commentators believe that the shepherds, because of where they were in the fields outside of Jerusalem, outside of Bethlehem, and if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know that this is a very short area between Jerusalem to Bethlehem, that they were more than likely watching over the sheep that would be used for the ceremonial sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. And so this was the job of these shepherds as they were right out in this area is to is to take care of all the sheep that were, that were sacrificed day after day in the temple sacrifices. And so in verse 12, when this angel says to them, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. He's saying that this will be a sign that you'll understand. Now, one author says that the, the bawling of sheep had rang across the fields of Bethlehem, Migdal Eder, which means the tower of the flock in Hebrew, was the place where lambs destined for the temple were born and raised. Every firstborn male lamb from the area around Bethlehem was considered holy, set aside for sacrifice in Jerusalem. And so the, that means that the fields in this area contain special sheep that were destined for a significant purpose. That Migdal Adair, the tower of the flock, would have been the headquarters of these shepherds. This is the place where, where they would go to, uh, to deliver these sheep, to take care of them. They, they had to be delivered as lambs without spot or without blemish, right? And so they had to make sure that they, was, they weren't going to be in a position where they would break a leg or where they would have something happen to these sheep. And so they took special care of them. And so God comes to these shepherds and he makes an announcement to them that included a sign for you. He says, I want you to see this. A baby that was wrapped in swaddling cloth wouldn't have been unusual. Everybody did that. Uh, that's, we, we still swaddle babies today. We call them the baby burritos, right? You would, you would wrap them up like this so they wouldn't move, okay? Everybody does that. But a baby lying in a manger, that would have been weird, right? The, in, in Israel, they have uh, stone 
because there's not a lot of wood, uh, and so they would have stone. They would carve out uh, a hollow in the stone, and they would put the, the hay in there, and that would be at the manger where the animals, the feeding trough, where they would come and, and eat from. And he says, you're going to find the baby in that place. Now, that's a sign that shepherds would understand because that's an object that they used every single day to care for these special sacrificial lambs that they were watching over. He says, I want you to be looking for that. In the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 4, verse 8, the prophet says, And you, watchtower for the flock, fortified hill of daughter Zion, the former rule will come to you. Sovereignty will come to daughter Jerusalem. In that, in that passage, watchtower for the flock is Migdal Eder in Hebrew. And so he's saying, and you, Migdal Eder, the watchtower for this special flock, he says, the former rule will come to you. And now he has. God is making this connection that this baby who's born on this day is going to come to this area to rule. He came to this place where the sacrificial lambs were born because he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one who's going to come and to rule and to reign. The high priest would have taken one of these special sheep from these fields, one that was without defect, one that was without blemish, and he would offer it as a sin offering to God. And the, the blood of the lamb would be sprinkled on the mercy seat there in the temple. And it's to these shepherds that God gives the message that the real Savior has now been born. These Jews that were seeking forgiveness from God by slaughtering these very sheep that they're watching over, God tells them to come and see the real Savior who's lying in this manger. He's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. His blood will be shed for the forgiveness of sin one time for all time. You see, this truly is good news for all the people. That through belief in Jesus' death, and his resurrection that we can be forgiven and that we can be made right with God again. The one thing that they were longing for. There is no greater Christmas gift. That's why in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This indescribable gift that God has given to us. The gift of Christmas. The third thing that we see in this passage this morning is the glory of Christmas. And I want you to hear what all of these angels, this great angel multitude says in verse 14. They're praising God and they're saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to people he favors. Glory to God in the highest heaven. They are looking at what has happened and they view this as the greatest reason to glorify God. That this is this incredible event, this incredible gift that would give glory to God in the highest heaven. That means to the ultimate degree. And this whole event glorifies God. God orchestrated the entire event in the fullness of time. That's what he tells us in Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5. That when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, the birth of this Christ is God's plan, and he deserves all the glory, all the praise for it. And everything about 
this birth is the lowest and meanest circumstances so that God would get the greatest glory for the outcome. I mean, the Messiah comes in the form of a helpless baby. He's not coming as a grown man. He's not coming as a mighty warrior. He's born in an unimportant town. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us that. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. This small backwater. He's born to an unimportant woman. Mary's not a queen. She's not a princess. In fact, she's not even married. And he says that this is going to be the mother of the Christ child. He's born here in a barn and placed in a feeding trough. He's not in a a palace, which is where you would expect to find a king like this. That's why the Magi went to Jerusalem, to the capital, looking for him there. They were expecting to find a king. And the recipients of this good news are the lowest citizens of Israel. Dirty, dingy sheep herders and later pagan fortune tellers from the east. It's almost like what God says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? God says, I'm going to do this, and it's going to blow your minds. And this infant child, although he comes in humility, would be exalted above all others. In Philippians chapter 2 In verse 5, we're told to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But for this reason, God highly exalted him. And gave him the name that's above every name. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the glory of Christmas. That God would be exalted for his mercy in sending us his son to save us. That God would be worshipped as the wise God that he is. That he would be honored as one who loves us unconditionally. That he would be esteemed as our creator who saves us. See, Jesus came to be with us so that we could go to be with him. And the great and glorious God who orchestrated all of this loves you. And wants to be with you today. He brought this good news to a lost world. And he gave us this greatest gift for Christmas. And so we glorify him for what he's done. And although this wasn't a silent night, we can have real peace with God because of what happened on this night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Each and every one of us has this basic human need, this basic desire for peace, for rest for meaning and purpose in our lives. And maybe you don't have any idea how to achieve it. But you can have this real peace through a relationship with Jesus because of what happened on this first Christmas night. This morning, there may be some in this room who need to to have this, this relationship with God, this peace in their heart today. 
And the Bible tells us that we can have it by trusting in Jesus as the Savior of our lives. He came to be this Savior. He fulfilled all the prophecies of the Anointed One, the Messiah. And he came and not only fulfilled those prophecies, but he accomplished our salvation by dying on the cross in our place as our sacrificial lamb. He was placed in the grave but rose from the dead on the third day, proving that he is the Son of God, and that he had power over sin and death and hell, and he broke those chains that bound us in captivity. And he's offering to each and every one of us salvation, forgiveness for our sins, a relationship with God if we would put our faith in him as our Savior and as our Lord. That's what Christmas is all about. And today that can be true in your heart if you will turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as your Savior. In a minute, we're going to have a time of response, and there's going to be leaders here at the end of these aisles that are, that are there to talk with you and to, to pray with you. And this is a decision that you want to make today, then I want to encourage you to come and to share that with one of them, to say, I, I, I'm looking for this peace that he was talking about. I'm looking for this meaning in my life. And today I know that the only place that I can find it is in Jesus. Christians, as we look at this passage of Scripture today, I want to encourage you this week to read through these birth narratives in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. Reflect on what God did to save us and worship him, praise him, honor him, exalt him, that he would love us so much that he would do this so that we could have a relationship with him. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we give you thanks for the story of Christmas. God, that you sent Jesus to save us. This night that the angels were so excited to announce, that the shepherds were so excited to go and see what God had done. God, I pray for any here this morning that don't have a relationship with you, God, that today that they would receive the gift of Christmas, the whole reason that, that this is a season, or that they would trust in Christ as their Savior. God, I pray for Christians here today, Lord, that perhaps in looking at this story afresh and new, God, that it would have even a deeper and more profound meaning in our hearts as we celebrate this week birth of Jesus and what it means in our lives, and God, that we would worship you in a greater way, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.